Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Those of you who are interested in the enormous amount of money and opportunities that are in this cannabis space, uh, but just like everything else, we, we are being left out. I'm going to solve that today with two powerhouses. Of course, Dr. Shonda Macias has been here many, 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 many times before, and she's back. She's a medical marijuana cultivator and processor for the state of Louisiana and other states. I think she's in four states, CEO of Elera Holistic Healthcare. Welcome back, Dr. Macias. Welcome. It is so nice to be back, Karen. You know, this is where I consider home, period. It is home, period, with a T. Absolutely. And back, back, back as well. Hopefully she'll become part of our home family, uh, former executive director of the Minority Cannabis Business Association. But she is an attorney who knows all of the legal ins and outs of this burgeoning uh, industry. Let me welcome back to the show, Amber Littlejohn. Hi, welcome back. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to be back. And absolute pleasure to get to spend some time with Dr. Macias as well. Yeah, I was wondering, I said, you guys got to know each other because the black folk in cannabis, the world is super small. So there's like Wanda James, Tucky Blunt, and like five other people uh, to hear Johnson now. I know him and, uh, and you guys like it's not a whole lot of people. And that's unfortunate. So we're trying to, to do something about that. Yes, and Absolutely. I worked with Amber for like years. We were both on the um, Minority Cannabis Business Association um, together. I served ter- two terms there, but then with business growing and everything else, um, you know, I passed the baton to just this amazing woman who just took it and, and ran with it. And, you know, her place in this space now is going to be ginormous. So I'm really excited to see all the things she's going to be doing and us just pioneering the industry, clearing the way. So more people who look like us and um, have one, have a dream that we can enter the space. Awesome. uh, Dr. Shonda. So Amber, last time you were here, you were the executive director of the minority cannabis business association. Where, what are you doing now to, to Dr. Shonda's point? So uh, as you mentioned, I'm an attorney by trade. So I am actually working with a municipality right now uh, to build out their social equity program, working with some operators, uh, really kind of transitioning what I've done uh, in the nonprofit space to kind of putting that to work for us on the ground. Additionally, uh, working on an organization, another type of organization, not an MCBA competitor, but there are a lot of folks in the space uh, that need another home uh, because we are going to need to adapt uh, our message. We are going to need to adapt and make sure that we are collecting our power, um, especially those who have made it, folks like Dr. Shonda um, and others who are finding success in the space. We need to make sure that their voice is heard um, and that we can leverage that as we start to go into some of the states that maybe will not be as friendly um, as they have been in the past. So very excited to get to uh, now enter uh, the more private sector and actually get to do work on the ground. Um, So it's been uh, an exciting moment, although I did do myself the favor of taking a little bit of time off uh, officially back at it now and and really excited to be bringing out some new ventures and some new projects. 
No, that balance is important. Okay, so how many states have legal cannabis and how many states do you, uh, you know, and I, th- I think about this as I'm, you know, John Boehner left, you know, he was very much against it and then he went right into a cannabis uh, business uh, when he left Congress. Which states are the holdouts and are oh. they penetrable? You know what? If you go down to the south where I'm at right now, that's where it is. They're holding out, Karen. So what Amber was alluding to is that especially states like South Carolina, um, they still don't have a legal program today. And they're fighting, I mean, tooth and nail to keep us out. So a lot of these states, North Carolina still um, hasn't voted on it, and Tennessee, Kentucky. But do you think those states really want to implement social equity programs? So this is the work that has to be done, especially in the South right now, um, or we'll be excluded out. So is it is it the social equity part? that's the holdup or the, or the cannabis part. Like it's you're in Louisiana, which I would think would be not a progressive state. It's a red state. It's, you know, mostly red. It, you know, it's almost in that Bible belt space where you would think marijuana should be illegal, but yet there you are one of the largest growers in Louisiana, but right next to it, I think is it Mississippi or Alabama. It's, it's not. Yeah. So Well, Karen, let me tell you, the pioneering work we did in D.C., I learned how to get through the cracks to open up the program, especially in Louisiana. We're doing that in West Virginia, and we're laying ground in Mississippi right now because Mississippi is very much like the New Jersey market where it's an open system. Basically, you come in, you pay a fee, and you get a license. So that is non-competitive. Um, it just started in June. So people are running into Mississippi, similar to Oklahoma, and just starting their cannabis businesses here. And Alabama did, they're going to have their application process open probably between October, November, and they're already legalized. So it's catching, you know, the wind, but I will tell you, I had to pioneer um, a lot of efforts, especially in the red state to begin with and um, continue to pioneer to make, make it equitable for more people like us to have access to the plant and to stop getting incarcerated for using the plant. Let's let's deal with that. Yeah, the that. southern states have the southern states have been generally a bit more amenable to the med- medical programs, but medical cannabis is not legalization. So they still continue to arrest people in these states, uh, despite having medical cannabis programs. So, uh, but the medical programs are a really important piece of of the steps in getting to legalization. And when people see the success that folks like Dr. Shonda have, and that the sky didn't fall. Uh, then that tends to lay the groundwork uh, for legalization as a whole. 866-801-8255. It's Thrive Thursday on the Karen Hunter Show. If you are thinking about getting into the cannabis business, this is a good time to call. We have not one but two experts. Um, Amber Littlejohn, the places where there no law, where there are mixed legality, where they may have some medical uh, legality, but they still are criminalizing people for possession 
it, it makes no sense, but let's go through these states. Um, I just pulled up a list. So there's Indiana, Iowa, Idaho, Pennsylvania, which is a little shocking because it's next to Jersey, Utah, which I understand, West Virginia, Wyoming, and Wisconsin, which is another very complicated state where you still can get arrested um, and sent to jail for marijuana for cannabis possession. Make that make sense. And what do we need to do, those of us who live in these states, to at least decriminalize the use of marijuana or the possession of it? Well, again, you're you're fighting a, a really difficult battle that is entrenched in a history of racism, uh, a habit of incarcerating people. Uh, cannabis and suspicion of cannabis possession is quite often used as a vehicle to continue police engagement with people. So it is a challenge in those states where they are deeply red states uh, that are not the most diverse states where racism is flourishing to get to that point is really challenging. Um, even somewhere like Georgia that has a medical program still continues to aggressively uh, arrest people for cannabis possession. So um, getting to the legalization point is really the hardest part of this because it takes away the ability to continue to arrest people. It, you know, has, there is within that a recognition that, hey, this isn't going to lead people to just play jazz and, and steal your daughter all day. Um, <laughs> but this, this is something that really is not the detriment and the harm to society that we once thought it was. And for some reason, despite ample proof to the contrary, that is, that is something we are having a really hard time getting folks to acknowledge in this space. And this is while ignoring the harms of things that are commonly accepted, like alcohol and cigarettes and prescription drugs and a plethora of other things that, that have caused far more damage than cannabis. Um, we continue to still see that. And that again is because it is so tied into, uh, you know, unjust enforcement of, of criminal laws and into racism. Mm. I did fail to mention Georgia and Florida. And you think about Georgia and you think Atlanta, you think, you know, like a version of chocolate city, like how, how is it possible that you could still get arrested in Georgia for marijuana possession, but yes, you can. Um, but Karen, you can't because the criminal system makes more money when they arrest someone for something. So if you think about what prison actually looks like, that's a $40 billion industry for the state. And if you think about all the salaries that are connected to that pipeline to prison, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a judge, um, the different, in, not all in between the facilities, um, the police officers that are being paid, this is how they're keeping their jobs and their livelihood. So right now they're booming in their industry because they can get probable cause by motor vehicle, you know, pulling over period and smelling it and saying, I'm gonna search your vehicle for, you know, cannabis. And it's completely targeted. They don't wanna lock up their own. So they lock us up at a percentage that is in New Orleans itself was 86.6% times more likely. Now, does that make sense when we know people use cannabis at equal, all races uses it at equal amounts, but yet we're targeted. And we have been targeted because you can't enslave us anymore. So what are you gonna do? Make money off of us in a different way. 
I mean, we were talking about this in relationship to Brittany Griner. Um, you know, yes, okay, she's in languishing in Russia and it's horrible. However, and there are millions probably of people, some with life sentences for marijuana in America, and we don't have the same level of passion or outrage. Um, and they're enslaved. You know, we were just uh, talking about Angola in Louisiana, one of the most, where they still would have people on horseback with guns picking cotton in Louisiana, one of the worst prisons in the country. Uh, and they have people making things, you know, furniture and all kinds of, I mean, like it is slave labor and we're not outraged about it. Um, the way we should be. Last year, we were able to get 10,000 pardons for misdemeanor charges. But the problem with that, Karen, is that even though they were pardoned, if they don't get those expunged from their records, then now they can't get job clearance. So again, if you're going to be a teacher, but you have a possession of marijuana, like um, a half a gram, you can't get a job. So these expungement programs are just as important because this is affecting people's livelihood. Okay, let's go into Amber's wheelhouse. Uh, and we got callers as well, 866-801-8255. Amber Littlejohn is here. Dr. Shonda Macias is here. Uh, both are cannabis experts. Um, if there are people listening right now that have marijuana, you know, uh, what do you call them? Uh, marijuana records? Is that what they, they call records? What's the easiest way, and, and can they only expunge them in the states where it's now fully legal, or if they're in Georgia and Florida, can they apply for expungement? It really depends. It's very specific to the state. Um, sometimes it is an amount of time that passes. Sometimes it's con- sometimes it's contingent on whether or not violence is involved. And I have to speak to that for because you can have a violence enhancement attached to a cannabis conviction simply by having a license to possess a firearm or by having a licensed firearm that you lawfully own in your glove compartment. So it just because there is a violence charge on there doesn't mean that there is necessarily violence involved in a cannabis conviction. So it really depends. Um, if your state has legalized cannabis, especially if they've legalized adult use cannabis, absolutely. Um, find out because most pro- most states do have a process. But the first step for you, for anybody with a cannabis conviction, actually get a copy of that conviction and to find out what's there uh, because sometimes people will plead and they'll plead to something else. Uh, and this happens quite frequently where even when there's automatic expungement, they're only expunging cannabis convictions. And sometimes people pled to something like disorderly conduct um, in lieu of the cannabis conviction. So um, getting a copy of your convictions, going to a legal aid um, organization or going to your public and county legal aid, because there are sometimes mechanisms, even outside of the cannabis laws that can be used to expunge your record, especially if that is a standalone offense. And folks, you should do it, you know, uh, to Dr. Shonda's point. Yeah, having to check that box. And I think when this is federally legal, and I think it will happen, and I'll get both of yours opinion on when you think that might be, um, that should be written into the law. Everybody who's in, who has a record gets cleared. They no longer have to check a box. I don't even know why you have to check a box if you paid your debt to society, no matter what you did. If you did yeah. the time check, no, you shouldn't have to check a box. You're, you're now free. You're clear. You're, you know, this country is so effed up. Okay. 
Um, before we go to the phones, Dr. Shonda, do you believe it's going to be federally legal? And if so, when? I do. So I, I think it's going to be federally legal, but it's going to be some time, Karen. It's not going to be during this administration. Uh, if we're lucky, we might get it at the tail end of the next administration. But Biden has no um, objective in legalizing cannabis in any way. Ah, that's so disappointing. It's so easy to do. Amber Littlejohn, why, why wouldn't he do this? Biden, I absolutely agree with Dr. Shonda. Biden is not going to legalize cannabis. Um, I think we alluded to this last time it was on. Biden, like so many people of his generation, has a lot of trauma that ex- exists around substances. And so he equates this to that. And so he will never legalize cannabis. He thinks it's bad. But that's um, personal. And You're the president. Th- and you have to, you, you have to, I'm sorry about your son getting caught out there with some drugs and some prostitutes and all the videos that are out there, which I don't talk about in these airways because it doesn't help us move to freedom. But, you know, that, that's your person. That's personal. You're the president of the United States and there are people languishing right now in this country. And also there's economic empowerment that you could, with the stroke of a pen, put money into black communities, into black pockets, and, you know, save a whole lot of neighborhoods just with a stroke of a pen, I think. Yeah. And I don't, and on top of Biden, we have Congress and we don't even have 50 Democratic votes to legalize cannabis right now, let alone the 10 Republicans that we'd need to in a a filibuster Congress. So I agree. It's not during the Biden administration. Um, I believe realistically, we've got about five to eight years, maybe until we legalize cannabis. Uh, One of the biggest things that I don't think we talk about in the legalization struggle is that we have to, pharmaceuticals will need to find a lane and we will have to have a lane in which pharmaceuticals can exist. Democrats, bless their hearts, they love pharma money. And so we're never going to have cannabis legalization unless there is a protected lane for pharmaceutical companies to develop drugs through cannabis. And the hard side of that is we can't have medical cannabis is not compatible with the drug approval process, millions of dollars and years to test a plant that really isn't really even amenable to to that process. So um, we still have a journey uh, and a lot of work to do, but I am heartened by the fact that on the federal side, I see people having a lot deeper conversations about policy and starting to actually have meaningful conversations about what we want the framework to look like, because that in itself was a bit of a struggle. Wow. Um, Oh, I got questions, but let's go to the phones. 866-801-8255. Dr. Shonda Macias is here and Amber Littlejohn, who is an attorney in the cannabis space. Both of them are cannabis uh, activists and powerhouses. Uh, Tamika in DC, she has a question. Welcome to the Karen Hunter show. Hi, everyone. Good evening or good afternoon. Um, I absolutely love your show, Karen. Always listen to this station every single show. Um, Dr. Shonda, um, my question is, is it lucrative to have businesses that um, do, I guess, the analytics and testing for the different strains? Because that's kind of what I do with DNA for different drugs and different things. but um, I was just wondering if, if, if that's a needed 
area for this business? It definitely is. Um, that's a great question. And a lot of people don't look at the, the labor that goes into um, the labor of love that goes into research and development. And that's where I come from. I'm a scientist by trade and have studied uh, natural medicines for years. So even now, when you think about opening a testing facility, they're making good money. And when I say that, it's that typically one test that I have to pay for range between 50 and $100. But I'm running through thousands of tests um, for our products, microbial tests, potency tests, heavy metal tests, stability tests, and all of those have a very big ticket number on there. So if that is an industry you have access to, or you can pull a team for that, then I would definitely apply for it. The one thing that, Tamika, you have to know, though, is that the RFA or the approval process for you to apply is a window. Most states don't have rolling application processes like New Jersey and Mississippi. So if you're in a specific area, you have to watch when you'll have that window to apply and be prepared to apply at that time. So um, I say good luck and go for it because we need more people like you in the industry. Amen. Amen. Now the application costs, because I know to apply for a dispensary, there's like there's all of these costs is, would there be a high cost for Tamika to apply? It varies from a few hundred dollars to millions of dollars. Uh, when it, <laughs> depending on where you are, wow. uh, there are states like Connecticut, where if you had $2 million to throw around, you could circumvent the uh, lottery process. And then there are states where, you know, a micro license application mm -hmm. may cost you a few hundred dollars. Um, I would say that testing labs tend to be maybe a few thousand dollars, single, single digit few thousand dollars. Um, but also keep an eye out for the, uh, like DC, uh, there are areas that don't have testing labs um, where testing is not a part of their framework. And so if you are in an environment like that, I would encourage you to reach out and meet with the lawmakers because testing should be a part of any framework. And so reach out and meet with the lawmakers. Say, hey, I hear I'm a woman of color. I want to see a testing lab. This is why you want to have a testing lab. I can make it affordable. So there may not be the opportunity existing, but folks like Dr. Shonda here uh, are going into spaces and actually creating the opportunity uh, to be able to operate even when it doesn't necessarily exist at the time that you're interested initially. That is great advice. And Tamika, I love that you, and she's in DC. So go ahead and do that. I, you know, I think we don't utilize the levers of power enough. You know, um, these people work for us, these elected officials. We got to put them to work. We got to put them to work. That's Amber right. Little, Amber Little John is here. Dr. Shonda's here. Uh, let's uh, go to Louisiana in your backyard. Allison uh, has a comment and a question. And thank you again, Tamika. Hey, Allison, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. So, um, so yeah, so my question is, um, do any of you know what are the um, number one companies are that are going into the marijuana business um, so that we um, can start investing like into their stocks um, because I think 
that the um, I feel like the marijuana business is gonna the stock prices um, is gonna be as like technology, where it's um, in the beginning is very low to buy in, but now you know it's in a hundred to buy in. So yeah, what are the leading companies who are making those changes or who are buying out those dispensaries so we as a community can start investing? Because that was. No, that that's a, this no marijuana did hurt our community, but now it should be no, it should be the number one thing to impact our community. Not number one, sense? but okay. Uh, to your point, and you know, I love the stock market. Uh, personally, uh, I, I'd rather us be real strategic with how we spend our money and what we invest in. And even if we're gonna go into the stocks, we should do it like a block, like a like a gang, like a you know, like. Like um, we should do it very strategically, but ladies, are there companies that are black friendly, that are us friendly, that we can engage with and put pressure on? Because that's the other thing, accountability. A lot of these companies go unchecked, and we just spend money. I don't know that I would, in good conscience, be able to say <laughs> drop money in the stock market on the larger cannabis companies. Um, I think there is a tendency to temporarily overinflate stock prices. I think you will see a normalization. Uh, there are some companies that will prove to be more stable. Um, I, I honestly believe that if you have an opportunity to look into your community at some of the smaller investment opportunities, uh, folks that are brands that are looking for startup capital, um, smaller, I mean, for, if you're, if you have the ability, if you, you know, maybe $10,000, you could make a gigantic difference in getting a company off and running and being able to be profitable. Uh, it's important to remember that while these larger companies have access to capital, uh, a lot of the businesses in our community that become successful businesses don't have that same access to capital and the traditional loan sources that people go to and the traditional markets uh, are not accessible to our community. So I would, if you are interested in investing, I think some of the better financial bets and the better bet culturally is to look for opportunities uh, that are emerging uh, among kind of small minority operators that are either licensed or folks that are running brands um, and other kind of ancillary businesses that are in the industry. Uh, Dr. Shonda, you're running brands. Don't you have a brand? Mm -hmm. Yes. T tell us a little bit about that. We have several brands that we're running. Um, I'm with a company called Women Grow, and we have a reach of about 2.5 million. Um, and we are doing amazing stuff in the space. Feel free to go to our website, but we help women get their brands into the marketplace. So a lot of um, the companies, the MSOs that are listed on the um, public sector right now, We've helped women get their brands into um, those um, MSOs. So what Amber is saying is exactly that, is that to look at the smaller companies that are a, a part of the industry and really invest in them versus the bigger part, because you'll get more bang for your buck there. But feel free to go to our website and check out um, Women Grow. And we're going to be um, highlighted at the 
several conferences. The first one is in Benzinga. It's in Chicago. Um, we're going to have a women's platform there. And um, that is in the second week of September. I believe it's the 13th and the 14th. And then at MJ Biz Conference, which is the biggest cannabis conference um, in the nation. And that's hitting, I believe, in October. No, that one's in November. Okay. I think we'll Amber, that one's in November. So we'll have a pavilion there. So women who have ideas or you want to invest to in women with um cannabis companies will be there and you can um see for yourself what is the best thing for your buck. Well, we're going to have you back before then because we haven't even delved into the money, which is what I brought you here today <laughs> to do. So both of you have to come back. And Amber Littlejohn, how can we support you? How can we help your efforts? Uh, helping my efforts uh, really just by helping small minority owned businesses, by going out and being vocal. Um, I represent kind of a small minority owned firms in general. I represent that voice. So the more of you are reaching out and amplifying the work that I'm doing and being a voice and standing up, it makes my work easier. Wow. Um, I will uh, I will be out at the cannabis conference in August. Um, actually, MJ Biz is doing a scholarship, a minority scholarship this year. Uh, if you've seen some of these shows, the tickets alone are $1,000 to get in. Uh, so they become very prohibitive. Uh, I will be out there again as well. Uh, so again, I just encourage you to be the voice because uh, I'm a lawyer and a lobbyist. People will listen to me, sort of, uh, but they will definitely listen to the constituents. So uh, it, my work is always easier if you're out well, there doing that work as well. Well, I thank you for being here, doing the work. Both of you will come back. Dr. Shonda, thank you. Amber Littlejohn, thank you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.